Thanks, Scott. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Am I coming? I'm not used to this microphone thing. I was going to tell Scott, I'm used to yelling at the line of scrimmage, so I don't mind just yelling today, but he gave me a microphone, so pardon me if I start talking louder and louder. Um, it's great to be here. Um, generally, if someone great goes before you, you usually say it's a tough act to follow, but um, I'm not going to make a joke on Scott going before me. I could see where that was headed. Um, but I was just going to say, since I got here and partook in the, the French toast and sausage and came in early to hear the worship team uh, pray together and, and take communion together and then sing, I love you, Lord, of which um, if I had more time, I don't think you want me to take my allotted 35 to 40 minutes at this point. So I'll try to keep it a little bit more brief because uh, I know that your stomachs will be growling if I take 35 minutes. So uh, I was fortunate to hear them sing, I love you, Lord. And if we had more time, I was just going to make y'all come back up here and sing it again. And uh, I was going to sing it with them for that matter, but uh, it was beautiful and, and great for me as I was praying and finishing up just some final notes and reading over it to get to come and hear the worship team sing, I love you, Lord, a cappella together. Uh, I'm a music guy. I've always played the guitar. Um, when I was at TU, uh, they called me the president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes for three years. So I don't really know that, what that means because um, we never really had a board or anything. The guy that ran FCA just said, you're the president. So, okay. Uh, but I, uh, I played my guitar and led praise and worship every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock um, for the entire time I was at TU, so four and a half years, um, and loved that. Uh, scripture says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So um, I peeked around when they first started doing worship to welcome everyone in, and there's a lot more people in the room now. So I'd encourage you, if you can make it here to um, take part in worship, to do so. Challenge yourself to get up a little bit earlier, get those things done that you got to do before you come to church. Uh, know the worship team did not ask me to say this. But I've been a part of many worship teams and, and put myself out there playing the guitar and singing for people. Um, but really, I'm singing for the Lord, and I know that's what they're up here doing. And uh, I left my phone down there so it didn't buzz. But I have a three-year-old boy and a 10-month-old boy, and so I know how it is sometimes getting around in the morning. So that's why I say if you can make it, uh, do so. Sometimes you can't. Uh, life would dictate otherwise. But I'm, I'm so thankful to be here and to share a little bit um, about what the Lord's laid on my heart. I was fortunate, I guess, uh, I think a year, a year ago this past spring to share with a men's group here and uh, had a great time doing that. And um, so welcome that Chris, uh, thankful that Chris contacted me and asked me to come share with the congregation while he's out. Um, so I'm just going to share with you what the Lord's placed on my heart. Uh, something I told those guys a little over a year ago when you hear some of the things that are read, and it's hard to come up and talk about humility after someone reads all the records you've broken, the two-time academic All-American stuff. Um, but I hope when I get done, you know that it was the Lord working through me, and it really had nothing to do with what I achieved. And at least on the football field, I probably don't have to convince you of that. Uh, you can look at me. I'm certainly not a physical specimen uh, when it comes to playing in the NFL, and I told those guys, I think, last year that a lot of times people will come up, shake my hand, and say, you're not as big as I thought you were. So I'll just get it out of the way. None of you have to say that. I know I'm not as big 
is I even wore a blazer so my shoulders would look a little bit bigger than they are. Um, but uh, when my time ended with the Jaguars, I was about 30 pounds uh, heavier than I was. Didn't have any more body fat percentage, but when you're working out four to five days a week and they're making you drink these 44-ounce protein shakes twice a day, um, you, your body has to do something with all that. So it wasn't bad weight, but I, I feel a lot lighter on my feet now. I feel like I can move around the stage a little bit. So uh, I'm not as big as some of you guys, at least that watched Tulsa football, probably thought I was. And I joke with them. I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or naturally I'm offended because every quarterback wants to be 6'6", 250 like Ben Roethlisberger. And if you're not, you want to be able to run like Michael Vick. Uh, I was neither of those. And so naturally I'm offended like, yeah, but did you see all the stuff that I achieved? Did you see what Scotty read off? But then the other side of me says, what an opportunity to share what the Lord's done in my life. Sure, I'm six one and a half at my biggest 208 pounds. Um, but the Lord allowed me to fulfill my lifelong dream of playing quarterback in the NFL. Uh, wrote my third grade journal, I want to play quarterback in the NFL like Joe Montana one day. And I tell people now, I, I know the Lord is faithful. He's been incredibly uh, great to my wife and I and my family beyond that. But I joke that I should have wrote in that, you know, the black and white composition notebooks that you have in elementary. I should have wrote in that composition notebook. When I grow up, I want to play quarterback in the NFL like Joe Montana for 15 years. <laughs> but my pen ran out of ink, and um, I didn't write that, and so God let me have about a year and a half, and he's like, okay, you can go home to Tulsa now. So, um, so I did, and um, I'm very thankful. There, there's so many parts of that story that are, that are God things. I'll share briefly because I, I do want to share a little bit today. From the word, but my wife and I announced to my parents, her parents, and both sets of grandparents through a YouTube video very late at night that she was pregnant with our first child um, in, I guess, the fall of 2009. And we did that at about 10:30 because I was in camp. Uh, it was the end of the preseason in 2009 with the Jaguars, and so we were living in Jacksonville, Florida, which, if you don't know, is in the very northeast corner, practically in Georgia, but a beautiful area, not quite Destin, Florida when it comes uh, to the beaches, but very beautiful for someone that grew up in different parts of the state of Oklahoma with a dad as a 35-year high school football coach, and my wife grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we met at the University of Tulsa, so we thought Jacksonville was paradise. Um, so back to the story, we, we put on YouTube and just kind of sent it to my parents and her parents and grandparents that had the little ultrasound and announced that we were pregnant because they were 17 hours away and we didn't want to tell them through a phone call. We wanted them to at least be able to see us. And so by the time we got to bed that night, it was probably 12.30 or 1 o'clock. Had to be up at the football facility at 6 a.m. And at about 6.15, uh, this little intern came up to me and said, hey, will you take your playbook down to Coach Del Rio's office? He wants to visit with you. If you know anything about the NFL and preseason training camp, when you take the playbook down to the coach's office, you're probably not going to return with the playbook, which means you're no longer on the team. So five hours after one of the coolest high points in my life, uh, I would have what you call a low point from the world's perspective. And in my own life, spiritually, non-spiritually, fleshly, godly, it hurt. But knowing that God had a plan for my life, 
made it a lot easier. And I tell people when God knocks you to your knees to make sure you're focused on him, it can hurt a lot. But I tell people, the closer you are to your knees in obedience to him and in seeking after him and in trying to follow him, it doesn't hurt near as bad. And there's times in my life where I've been up on my tippy toes with my chest out and I want to show people my bowl rings and I want Scott to read some more about the three bowl games that I played in. I was the MVP of all of them. So I performed the best when the lights were on. Look at me, look at me, pat me on the back. And when God gives me a little bit of a reality check, it hurts. Because falling from your tippy toes down to your knees is a long fall. And I tell people, if you're spending time on your knees in humility, in repentance, in obedience, it doesn't hurt near as bad when God puts you on your knees to get you focused on him. And luckily, at that point in my life, yeah, it, it hurt pretty bad. You know, the high of telling them you're pregnant and, well, I wasn't pregnant, but that my wife was pregnant and we were expecting our first child to, I got released from the Jacksonville Jaguars that next morning. Um, that was hard, but I knew God had a plan. I've been very fortunate all throughout my athletic career. I mentioned my dad growing up a, a high school football coach in the state of Oklahoma. He started in Midwest City with the Bombers and had a lot of success coaching two guys named Kale and Mike Gundy who are now coaching at OU and OSU. He was their quarterback coach and offensive coordinator. And I had an older brother that was a quarterback, so we went from Midwest City to Edmund Deer Creek. There we won a state championship my sophomore year, and my dad got the head job at this place called Awasa. And so I was in Edmund Deer Creek growing up in Midwest City and living in Edmond only my whole life, knew nothing about the Tulsa area. And I said, Dad, what is Owasso, and where is it? And all he had to say was, you're going to be in the same district with the Jinx Trojan. And I said, let's go. Um, that didn't turn out very well for me, but I grew up watching my dad beat Jinx in state championships at Midwest City. So when we got a job at Little 3A Deer Creek, I was kind of asking my dad, well, how good do we have to get before you can get a job at a big school again? And that was his first head coaching job, so he probably didn't like that his little seventh grade son was already a smart aleck. But... <laughs> I wanted to play against the best, so three years later, I led the team to a state championship, and uh, another pretentious moment was named a, a Fox Sports High School All-American. My dad and I both got a lot of exposure in the state, and then he got the head job at Owasso, where we spent, uh, I spent two years, my junior and senior year, and, and got a scholarship to play at the University of Tulsa with Steve Cragthorpe. I was his first commitment, and went on to, to TU and had a pretty successful career there, uh, throwing the ball. and. Got to play under Gus Malzahn, who's now Auburn's head coach. And I tell people, when you're a quarterback who loves throwing the ball, and he read some of the records I broke in high school, I went into a pretty traditional style offense, which means I handed the ball off a lot, and then we'd do some play actions. So for the, I don't want to lump the girls, so for the guys or girls that don't know much about football, we would hand the ball off, and then we would fake a handoff, and I would roll out and pass it. But there wasn't a lot of just dropping back and, throwing the ball all over the field. And that's what I got to do in high school. So my junior year, or my sophomore year at TU, we had a pretty, pretty successful run. I met a uh, TU grad here that was at that Liberty Bowl in 2005 where we beat Fresno State. And that was my first year to start. So a pretty fun year winning conference and, and playing in the Liberty Bowl. And I tell people I threw for 2,800 yards as a sophomore. I threw for 2,700 yards as a junior. And then I threw for 5,100 yards as a senior. So almost doubled my passing yards um, from my sophomore and junior year, my senior year, because I got to play for a guy named Gus Malzahn who said, 
By the time we got to the season, he said, Paul, I trust you. Have at it. He was still calling plays, and we were moving as fast as we could, but basically he trusted me the same way my dad did growing up. If you see something on the field, I know that you know the game of football. Make sure you get us in the right play so I don't look like an idiot. So I got to do that, and I had a lot of fun my senior year, got exposure, and fulfilled that third grader's lifelong dream of playing quarterback in the NFL uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And had a lot of fun. I mentioned the, the time that I got released from the Jaguars, and it's kind of what I wanted to share on, and I'll try to be brief. There's some stories that go along with each of the, the scripture notes that I had here, but I know we're, uh, I don't want to be the reason. I know the, the 11th commandment. So if you haven't heard it, uh, blessed are the brief, for they shall be asked to speak again. So when I think about my time coming back to Tulsa, it's easy to think about what I wrote down is, where's your identity? And the Belize team shared a lot about what they got to do, and a lot of times it's not about what you do, but, but what God does through you, and then what God does to you through experiences like that. And I think about coming back to Tulsa after playing in the NFL. Um, I could have hung my head, I could have moped around for a long time, I could have done what a lot of NFL guys do, and just kept training and working out for four more years thinking that I was going to get my shot and I was going to get my fair chance and instead I came back home and went to work and just understood that God did a lot of neat things with this 6'1", 200 pound kid so I might ought to just be thankful for what he did and not worry about what he didn't do. And it got me thinking about where my identity was and you've heard many sermons similar to that. Is your identity found in Christ or in the world? And even beyond that, I would challenge you, is your identity found in Christ? Is it found in the world, or is it just found in yourself? And if I have a struggle, it's funny, if you ever get asked to speak, just talk about things that you're struggling with, because you know you'll be passionate about them. So if nothing else, I hope that you pick up something that I share today, but in all honesty, it, well, it does matter. I wasn't going to say it doesn't matter, but I'm learning today through the Word of God, what He wants to do in my life still to this day. So I hope that you can pick up on a thing or two that you can take from here and use. But I just wanted to challenge you of, of where your identity is. Where do you find your joy, your happiness? Um, where's your focus on Christ or things of this world? And if you're not careful, especially as a professional athlete, it's very easy uh, to be focused on things of the world. And I put down that Isaiah tells us that the world will let us down. Um, that's kind of the Cliff Notes version of Isaiah 40, that the world will let you down if you put your, your trust in the Lord. But those who trust, or if you tr trust in the world, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. And you all know the verse, uh, Isaiah 40, 31. And I needed some renewed strength. And you all might be walking through something in your life financially, in your marriage, or in a relationship uh, with your job. I don't know the situations out there, but um, what are you relying on? Are you relying on yourself, or are you relying on the Lord? Because he's got a plan for your life. And my mom always says it's good things that the Lord's plans prevail, or we'd all end up in hell. Because we're all sinful by nature, and we all want to do our own thing if we just go with the flow. I mean, it's easy to be worldly. Nod your head if you agree. It's easy to be worldly. The world is set up for us to fail as Christians. What does James 4, 4 say? I kind of got a summary of it there. Um, friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of God 
a friend of this world, becomes an enemy of God. And I've, I've shared that a few times. I don't think he wants us to be miserable all the time and not have any fun in this world. But if your aim is to enjoy the things of this world, he's saying you cannot be a friend of God. Because that's what everybody else does. And he says in Matthew 20 to his disciples, among you it should be quite different. Because they're talking about, they're, they're, they're mad about a little story or analogy that he told, I think, the, the mother of James and John. Can I sit on your right and left in the kingdom of heaven? And there's some things in, in Matthew 18 about sitting on your right and left and being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then there's some things in, in Matthew 20. And I was actually going to share something from Matthew 16. Um, I know our younger audience knows the Toby Mac song, and you'll recognize it. Matthew uh, 16, 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Pardon my singing. I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. Anybody? Okay, four of you. Cool. Um, so Toby Mac sings it. I like Christian music because you can have the scripture ingrained in your life without reading the word of God 24-7. So uh, it's a pretty good station to listen to if you can find one that's singing songs about scripture. And so you read that, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. He's quoting, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? He plays 25 years in the NFL and wins 15 Super Bowls and is in the NFL Hall of Fame, but he doesn't know Christ as his Lord and Savior. What does it profit a man to fulfill everything he wanted from this world? James 4, 4, can't be a friend of the world and of God. Not saying you can't enjoy what you do and you can't enjoy the things while you're living in the world, but you can't have it both ways. Your identity cannot be found in money, in the car you drive, in the boat you ride around on on a weekend, or the house you live in, the success you have at your job. Can't be in both. It's not saying you can't have those things, but be a good steward of the things that God's given you if you do have those things. And... Um, don't think that I'm up here preaching at you. Uh, I tell people that I understand that I'm not perfect. Steve Cragthorpe used to say there's only one perfect person, and we're so stupid we put them on a cross. So I want you to know that I don't think I'm perfect. So as, as I'm sharing, I'm thinking about the car I'm driving, the house I'm living in, and the money that God allows me to make, which isn't anything to brag about at this point in life, and I don't know how he'll bless me in the future. But if he's blessed you with those things, know where they come from and know who they really are, as she shared. They're not ours anyways, and when you think about it that way, it's a lot easier to, to give, to share, to go on missions. My wife and I just got back last week. We went to downtown Seattle, uh, not quite Belize, but it's a pretty worldly place in downtown Seattle, area called Fremont, just to serve a church plant there and, and help them in the community. And um, so Matthew 16, and I was sharing a little bit from Matthew 18 and 20 when he says, Among you it should be quite different, for whoever wants to be first must become a slave. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and give my life as a ransom for many. And um, if you'll notice there, um, Matthew 16, 18, and 20, I was trying to connect with some of you all that went to the other two state schools. I was counting by twos and even numbers, 16, 18, and 20. I went to TU, so I could, I could jump around, but I wanted you all to keep up with me. Stand-up comedy, stand-up comedy. We need... Sorry, that's all I got. I'm not coming to the uh, who's got talent. I apologize. So, Abiding harvest got talent. Sorry, I misquoted that too. Um, 
But I did notice as I was making my notes 16, 18, and 20, so I thought I'd make fun of all the Sooners and Cowboys here. But in all fairness, they didn't want me. I wasn't good enough to play there, so I can rag on myself at the same time. So thank the Lord for the University of Tulsa and Steve Cragthorpe because they did think I could play football. And uh, one of the neatest moments in my dad's coaching career was after the 05 game in Norman. If you love OU football, you probably remember Tulsa went there in 05 and um, we're only down by two in the middle of the fourth quarter in a really close game. Adrian Peterson on fourth and two broke through for a, a touchdown, which kind of separated the game. But we made a lot of Sooners fans nervous that day in Norman. And Bob Stoops came up to my dad and I after the game on the field and said, hey, I just want to let you, got, you guys know that I made a mistake. Uh, your, your kid could play here. And he didn't think so when I was a senior in high school. So it was kind of neat for my dad being a Norman High graduate, getting his master's degree from OU, coaching baseball a little bit for the Sooners. And I grew up at a lot of OU games for him to look at me and my dad and say, I made a mistake. My dad was pretty proud. And I looked at my dad like, Dad, I met my wife at TU. I'm going to break every record that's ever been held here. And uh, we're going to have a pretty good time. But he's still like, my kid could have been a Sooner. So, um, so sorry for the joke on 16, 18, and 20. And, and no, at the time, I wasn't really thinking we're going to break every record here. But I have to be honest, that is my natural. Um, if I fall back on something, you all know quarterbacks were all kind of arrogant punks. And I try to avoid that. But as a quarterback, you kind of have to toe that line of confidence and arrogance. And sometimes that line is blurred. So I think a lot of times I was misunderstood. I accepted Christ at a very young age. And I knew then that I was very far from perfect. And if I confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus was Lord of my life and that he died on the cross for my sins and God rose him from the dead three days later, that I could have life for eternity in heaven. And I did that. Because why wouldn't you? So I asked my dad, why wouldn't anyone accept what Christ did for him? He said, good question. But I still, as a quarterback, as a leader, I struggled towing that line of confidence and arrogance. And so a lot of people probably thought I was that arrogant punk different times at Deer Creek and at Owasso and at TU. And I pray they knew my heart. Because um, when I get up here, I pray people see Jesus in fo some form or fashion. Um, so if I were to introduce him onto the stage, it's hard for me to do that and just get out of the way and step out of the spotlight. Because I'd still want to peek out a little bit and say, hey, but remember me. And that's just, that's what I fight every day. Remember me. Remember what I did. Remember my story. I'm not taking these rings with me. I've got five bowl rings from TU, four that I played in as eligible quarterback, and then one I was serving as a team chaplain, and they ordered a bowl ring for me. So I've got five now and some state championship rings and an all-state and an oil bowl. And um, another one that's pretty important that was my purity ring before I put this ring on. And um, I tell, I get to speak to a lot of younger audiences, uh, not that you all are old, but a lot of youth groups. I do a lot of quarterback camps and football camps. And I tell people that uh, that, that purity ring that I put on my, my ring finger on my left hand was just important because it was pretty cool on my wedding night for my wife and I to, to be able to look at each other and know that this was the first time that we were going to do what God called a husband and a wife to do together. So um, you don't have to clap. I wasn't. That's okay. That's okay. I wasn't looking for praise on that because I sin every day. If I don't, it's every other day. I'm sure it's every day. And so I know a lot of people have sinned in that way, purity-wise, that are younger. 
And I don't want them to just think so, they're so guilty. I always want to remind them that, you know, God says he can wash you white as snow. And I know it's not winter right now, but next time it snows, look how white God's white is. If you think a building is white, look at God's snow sitting up against that building. That's white. If you think your teeth are white, hold some snow up to your teeth. Your, <laughs> your teeth aren't white. And so people have made some mistakes there, and I make mistakes all the time. So I'm not saying it's a lost cause, but that was one important ring uh, for my wife and I. I'm thankful that when she was down in Keller, Texas as a young girl, she made the same commitment. And I tell guys it's pretty important because there's a lot of things in marriage that uh, that'll solve a lot of issues, something as simple as, as waiting for that wedding night. But um, back to the story. Sorry for the joke on 16, 18, and 20. I hope you forgive me, all you Sooners and Cowboys. Um, but I, I shared James 4.4 4 about friendship with the world, and then it says just three verses later, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So that's a pretty simple promise. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil doesn't want to mess with somebody that's on fire for Christ. I remember hearing stories of young boys that are laying in their bed, and my son's pretty close to that age, not quite there. He's three years old. He gets scared of certain things, thunder and whatnot, but he doesn't think there's any monsters or evil spirits in his closet. I'm sure that'll come up at some point in his life. I remember hearing stories of a, of a dad sharing with his young boy. He's always scared of evil under his bed or evil in his closet, there's evil, something evil in my closet. There's evil spirit. What if the devil's in my closet? I'm so scared. I'm so scared. And the dad would always pray that he'd be safe. And he'd pray that he'd be safe. And night after night, he'd pray that he'd be safe. And then a night came where the son said, I'm just so scared. I'm so scared. Just pray that I'll be safe. There's an evil spirit. Satan's in my closet. And the dad said, son, I'm sorry. I'm not praying that you'll be safe anymore. You know, the kid kind of looked at him like, dad, we've always prayed that I'll be safe. He said, son, I'm going to pray that you're so dangerous devil doesn't want to mess with you. And you know what I'm talking about. There's times in your spiritual life that you're so dangerous for Christ, Satan says, I'm going to move on to the next one. So I pray that each one of you can be a dangerous disciple for Christ, that when Satan looks at that opportunity, he says, "Mm -mm, I'm not even going to mess with that one. That one's so dangerous for Christ, I'd just be wasting my time. So I can't wait till the day I can tell my boy, I'll pray that you'll be safe for a while, but there's going to come a time in his life where I'm going to pray that he'll be dangerous. Can't protect you anymore. You've got Christ, that's all you need. If you're dangerous enough for him, I don't have to pray for you to be safe. So I pray that each one of you in your occupation, if you're retired and your family life, taking care of those kids and grandkids, my parents say it's a great thing. They said they would have skipped having us three kids if they could have just had grandkids. So I pray whatever you do. Um, do it with the mentality of your identity in Christ. Pray for me that I can be the husband and the father that God's called me to be, that I won't be so braggadocious about these bowl rings and MVP trophies and all the things this world has given me to make others say, great career, great game, great job. I want to be what God calls great. And when Jesus told his disciples, whoever wants to be the greatest must be a servant, must be a slave, that's what I want to be. So... And whatever you're doing, I, I pray that you'll be a dangerous disciple for Christ. That Satan will come approaching you and say, no, I better just leave this one alone. Thanks for your time.